Welcome to the Rhythms Podcast. I'm Brian Wise, editor of the magazine, and shortly I'm going to be joined by Stuart Coop to talk to a legend of the Australian music industry, Michael Chug, who has been touring local and international artists for the best part of 50 years. And his Chug Entertainment Company has been severely affected, of course, like many others in the music industry, by the COVID-19 pandemic and the restrictions placed upon the industry as a result of that. So let's join Michael Chug and have a chat about what's happened to him over the past year. How are you, Michael? Yeah, I'm good. Very good. Thank you. Good. Hi, Michael. I'm good. Thank you. Great. So I thought it'd be good to get together and have a chat about uh, how your business has been affected over the last 12 months or so and how you've managed to survive, Michael. Well, you know, it's, um, it's been tough, obviously, you know, the income from any live touring is virtually like the rest of the industry is down to around 2% of the gross of what it normally would be. You know, and obviously uh, with with Chug Music, I have a few acts that live in Queensland, so they've been able to work. But in the main, it's just been postponing shows one after another. Uh, we've had to postpone Frontier Tours. We've had to postpone Chug Tours. And it hasn't been easy. I, I suppose I thank the Lord that my 45-day Elton John Tour finished a week before this shit started. <laughs> <laughs> but you would so have at a, least I won. you'd have a big infrastructure i mean what happens to that whole infrastructure during this period does it sort of go into mothballs i mean there must be certain people you have to keep on staff etc well because uh, uh god bless his soul before michael gadinsky died we in 1819 we did a jv so that my deal with uh with frontier was that they picked up all the overheads of the staff and everything um and you know um most of those people are still in getting on the payroll i mean it's been a very expensive exercise for the whole mushroom group but um you know some of the people only work two or three days a week but um you know when job keeper was in business well it was a big help for us all but you know um we're sort of planning tours with local acts for early next year, we've moved most of everything that we had. Uh, we had a Lime Cordial National Tour starting in early October. We're about to announce that we're moving that till April next year. And that's been pretty much everything. You know, as I said earlier, unless you're involved with any acts that live in Queensland, you're pretty fucked. So, Michael, I don't expect, even though you'd like to have a crystal ball, I mean, but do you have any... I mean, I think everyone thought, oh, well, we've toughed out 2020, you know, things can't get much worse. And of course, they very quickly did get worse um, this year, but, uh, and we're, we're getting towards Christmas and everyone's moving things to 2022. Do you, do you have any sense of confidence about not only Australia, you know, state borders opening up, but, but international borders opening for tours? Um, I don't think the international borders will open in a, any sort of meaningful way till after June next year. Um, you know, people have been trying to get dispensation to bring acts in who are prepared to quarantine, but nothing's happened. And, uh, you know, not many international acts want to come and quarantine anyway. You know, they're like America. I mean, 
America went up with a huge amount of shows about two and a half months ago, thousands of shows, and friends in America in the agency business, all they've been doing for the last month is cancelling and postponing shows. And I don't think that's going to change. Um, there's been a few festivals go ahead in England, but in the main, a lot, most of the things have been postponed. So we, we're hoping that we're going to get some decent national Australian tours, Australian Act tours on the road after Christmas. But I don't think that you'll see any international acts before June next year. We are certainly... Did, did you feel it? Did you feel it, um, you know, particularly in the United States, you know, you talked about two or three months ago. Do you feel like they and the people over there that you talked to feel like that they opened everything up far too quickly? Yeah, well, America's never really come to the fucking reality of what <laughs> what was happening, you know, and I think uh, that's a big problem. Um, and, the, you know, we have got a problem here, obviously, with the anti-vax thing, but over there it's much bigger than it is here because there's millions of them. Um, I think uh, what the course that the government are now on here, nine months too late, is getting everybody vaccinated. And I think once people are up to 80%, uh, if they can somehow bash Queensland and Western Australia into line, uh, we could have the state borders open and we could be doing some work. I've heard that, um, and you'd be in touch with what's happening in America, speaking of America, uh, some festivals uh, have introduced a policy whereby people can't get in unless they can prove they've been vaccinated. And I've been watching the tennis, uh, the US Open, over the last uh, few days, and uh, the the place is almost full and hardly any... I can't, yeah. can't recall anybody... Uh, seeing anybody wearing a mask, but what will what do you think the policy will be here? Will we because you know as you said, some tours have been cancelled and some are going ahead over there. Yeah, um, you know, yeah, I was watching the tennis. I think there was like one in two thousand people wearing a mask. I mean, it's pretty weird. Um, I, look, it's hard to say what the policies are going to be, but you know, I think uh, the mask situation will be around for quite a while. And, um, you know, it was interesting to watch the news this morning. In, in England, they've decided they're not going to go with the vaccine passport. Yeah, I noticed that. But, I mean, that's going to be a problem, isn't it? Well, I think, you know, we, as an industry here, we've started the Get Vac, um, the Vaccination mm. campaign, which has had, you know, had uh, a very, very positive reaction, but also, you know, one in probably 20 uh, reactions have been negative. It's, we really haven't got into how we're going to do this. Are we going to have vaccination passports? What are we going to do? Are you, do, do you, you're going to have uh, uh, instantaneous tests at the doors. I mean, there's a lot of things to to go into. And we right now we decided the best thing we could do is help get everybody vaccinated as quickly as possible. I think personally that the government and a lot of uh, venues, a lot of uh, organisations will, um, if you're not vaccinated, you won't get in. And I think we're going to have to follow the lead of the majority uh, and see where it goes. Um, you know, I see now there's, there's a thing in the paper this morning that some organisations aren't taking interviews with people for jobs unless they're vaccinated. 
So, you know, and some organisations have come out and said they won't employ anybody who's not vaccinated. So it's a bit of a shit fight and I'm sure it's going to resolve itself, but it's not doing anything for us. It's not helping with the thousands of people who haven't made a cent. I mean, I'm lucky. I've got Chug Music. I've got six acts that are doing between them about 50 million streams a month worldwide. So we have income, we have sync music, we have, you know, uh, the odd special events in Queensland. There, There's a, an income in there. I have eight people full-time five days a week at Chug Music. But it's a label management company. It's not a touring company by any means. So we have had some income. And, you know, the one thing that has grown out of this is that Streaming has become a big business. A lot of artists worldwide, their streaming numbers have quadrupled, gone up by five, six hundred percent. And one thing I was going to ask you, Michael, I mean, it's something that's close to both of our hearts. You know, Australia has some of the the best road crew and, and technical people, you know, on the planet, uh, and they have had no income for for eighteen months. Are you getting a sense that? We will lose a lot of those really talented people, and they've gone on to, to find other work. Or you know, is, is there, there, a... there, there is there is people moving on. There are people who have moved on to other industries and other jobs. Yeah, I mean, and it's going to continue. I mean, thank God that support acts there, and it's and the crew care and people like that who've actually managed to be able to keep some of these people alive. And I mean, you mm-hmm. know. I, I, well, none of us come out and say it, but we've been helping out where we can, giving people money and helping out where we can. It's mm-hmm. it's a tough one, especially for those people. I mean, and all the suppliers and contractors and the production companies that are million do- millions of dollars of equipment uh, laying around rotting because they can't fucking work it. So it's a tough, it's tough right now for everybody in in the industry, and it, the crew thing really worries me. But I'm I'm so pleased, you know, looking back twenty odd years that we actually started Support Act, and you know, with some really good people like Clive Miller, and that it's become a viable support for all those people. And, and when when things you know open up, particularly in terms of international tours, Michael, I mean. Do you think there's going to be a roll-on effect in terms of, of ticket prices and, and what needs to be charged given the, the losses and the rebuilding infrastructure and things like that? Or will it just be a case of people like yourself and and other touring companies just going, okay, we've had a, a lousy couple of years? We've got to be real about it. I mean, you know, you can't just put ticket prices up because you because, you know, you need to. I mean... There are going to be problems because, you know, as you know, um, there's not a lot of margin in touring. Mm. And uh, all of a sudden, if you've got another 10%, 10 to 20% built into your costs because of the new, you know, the restrictions you have to get around and the new regulations of, you know, if you're going to test people at the doors or you're going to take time to go through everybody. To, you know, you've got 30,000 people and you're looking at everybody's vaccination passports or, uh, you know, their letters of proof and all that. It's you're, you're, uh, you're, You need to open the gates about three to four hours before the show 
and your 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 costs of staff and everything are going to be monstrous. So there's a lot of that. The other main worry is when it does open up again, you're going to get about 200 fucking acts here in six weeks. Mm-hmm. No one's going to make any money. <laughs> and, and do you think it'll take a while for the um, for the audiences to to come back? I mean, particularly, I think of the the older segment of of the market. You know, the, the younger ones still seem to consider, you know, somewhat naively that they're bulletproof. Um, but when you get that sort of post-40 audience, do you think it'll be a while before they want to come back, particularly into crowded, sweaty, you know, Enmore situations, Enmore theatre situations? Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, before this current lockdown, we had been doing a few shows and people were turning up. Not many were, were, were abiding by the mask rule. Uh, the the demographics were quite wide, but you know, like there's been a few tours gone on sale, and, and people are hesitant to buy tickets because because of the dramas, um, you know, about like about you know, is it going to go ahead or not? So yeah, there's going to be hesitation. I mean, Frontier put Tyler, the creator, is it on sale? Mm-hmm last week and it's done about 70,000 tickets, but you're talking an A-level act. Uh, the, when you get down to B, C and D-level acts, it's going to be really interesting to see what the take-up's like. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and you're still going to be living with, well, can we sell a full house or are we allowed to sell 60%? I mean, we had an episode in Brisbane, which is allegedly okay, where... Um, Two Fridays ago, Shepherd played the Tivoli. We were told when we went on sale we could sell 800 tickets and they all had to be, uh, and they didn't have to be seated. A week before the show, they changed their mind and brought it down to 650 people and they all had to be seated. Then three days before the show, they changed it back to 1,000 people and they didn't have to be seated. I mean, the fucking bullshit that went we went through that just in a week with a mm. thousand capacity show. So there's a lot of ifs and buts and what's going to happen still involved here. We're not getting clear direction um, really from anybody. And hey, there Mark, seems yeah. from, Sorry, from no. the people I've been talking to, Michael, a lot of performers, um, you know, there seems a strong sense of despondency at the moment, you know, simply because of that endless reschedule, reschedule, reschedule. And I, I spoke to a few people over the last um, couple of weeks, you know, in the country area, and, and they were saying they've got new records out, and they're just going, we're not going to bother even trying to tour them because it's just too frustrating to keep moving dates. You know, do you, do you sense that's widespread? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, it is. I mean, we're only, we've been moving dates and postponing shows because, uh, we've had shows on sale and tickets sold. One thing I am noticing, though, when we do move these shows, we're not getting a lot of requests for refunds. I mean, uh, we look at CMC Rocks, which we had to blow off um, in 19 um, or in 20, uh, uh, the week before, we'd sold 16,000 tickets. There's still over 10,000 people holding tickets that were allegedly going to be for 21, which will now be 22. So they're still sitting on their tickets, but there is a 
there is a reluctance to buy tickets and and so forth. And, you know, there is a lot of despondency because, you know, you you watch the fucking rugby league and the, and the AFL and, and they're allowing crowds and all that. And we can't, they're not allowing us anything like that. I just wanted to pursue that point you made about the AFL and rugby. And um, I'm interested in your thoughts on that because even when they weren't allowed spectators, the events, they still went ahead, the, the matches. And I'm wondering if the government could have done more for the entertainment industry in looking at different ways of supporting and, and getting events. I mean, a lot of people did events online, but do you think there was enough support there because the entertainment industry generates an incredible amount of income and and jobs and uh, it, it just seems as though they kind of sports an easy thing to do do you know what i mean yeah um, they've got the infrastructure in the sporting bodies that can do all the lobby and all that but mm. i mean the one thing that's come out of this in a way is that the the government and and both parties really uh, have realized that how big our industry is uh, finally and it's taken a fucking pandemic to to get the message across but when they've looked at all the other uh industries like hotels the trucking companies and all these companies that are really suffering because we're suffering and all of a sudden, their penny has dropped that, you know, our industry is a monstrous industry and they've never really given us given us anything like the respect or the, the support we deserve. And one wonders after the pandemic's over and, and we're a year out of the pandemic, what their fucking support's going to be like and whether it'll just disappear again, you know. I mean, look. I have no doubt in my mind that if the pandemic hadn't have hit, 2020 was going to be the biggest year ever for Australian artists internationally. Uh, we would have broken a lot of barriers and a lot of acts would have broken through in 2020 and it would have continued on this year in a big way. And um, it's been really disappointing. And I think, you know, I think that once all the all the bullshit gets out of the way, if it ever does, Australian music's really going to blow up worldwide. There's no doubt about it. But it, we've got to keep it alive here, and it's been tough. The government could do a lot more than they've been doing. I think, you know, before Michael passed, I mean, he, the Victorian government were putting a lot of money into, um, into internet events whether that'll translate a bit further down the road into major events in Melbourne. And, you know, I see uh, New South Wales government have announced they're going to go ahead with Great Southern Nights next April, March, April again, and put all that money into live shows. I mean, all that'll help, but we've got a long way to go. You got anything else you'd like to talk about, Stuart, with Michael, or before we let him go? He's been... We really I don't, appreciate it. Didn't your time. want to come across too too depressed, <laughs> depressing. But know. you know, we're all we're trying to keep our heads above water and and keep as positive as we can. And I just had a call from Richard Clapton, who you know, as you know, has got a new album yeah. out of covers. I mean, he's uh, lost something like forty six gigs this year. 
And that, you know, to lose half a million to a million dollars in concerts for someone like that is like shattering. Go on. I know that Joe Camilleri has lost a similar number of gigs and, you know, he's a man who sort of thrives on the live performance scene. So, you know, for many of these artists. Well, most just- of those acts do. I was very pleased to see all the publicity for Joe's 50th album on the weekend. It's great to see that stuff. But, you know, yeah, everybody... I think once they get we get back on the road, I think the audiences will come back. But I think the way they buy their tickets will change. I think we've been seeing just in Queensland with artists like Casey Barnes and, and Shepard and Max like that, uh, 40 50% of the tickets are selling in the last week because, right. it, you know, things start to look as though they'll actually go ahead. That's Queensland. But, I mean, we can't plan anything. You know, all these festivals, you know, we had about 30 festivals booked for Lime Cordial starting in December through January. They've pretty much all been postponed already. Now, Michael, I mean, we we have a a history of of having an enormous number of festivals in this country. I mean, it seems every year there's, you know, another couple of dozen festivals. I mean, a lot of those, I guess, you know, just won't come back, do you think? I mean, will, will there be some pretty significant collateral damage? Yeah. It's quite funny, actually, because some of these festivals that were coming up were all brand new ones yeah. um, in different parts of the country, right? Um, yeah, no, look, I think in the main a lot of things will come back, but it's a different ballgame, Stuart. It's like how many people are you going to need to break even? And as I said earlier, you know, you're going to, you're going to have extra costs that are going to be caused by the health and safety and all those sort of variants. And anyway, yeah, we'll see what happens. But, but it's been, but it's been good, Michael. You, it's been good for you. Your cooking's improved. Yeah, my cooking. <laughs> I've lost 10 kilos in the last three months, so you've got to be happy about that. Um, yeah, my cooking's improved. The greatest problem is... You know, i got a two-year-old grandson that I haven't seen for, what, four months, three and a half months. I've got a 13-year-old grandson who, you know, I FaceTime occasionally, but he's he's quite happy to stay at home and just play fucking computer games. <laughs> so, you, you know, you can't get around. You've got this five-kilometre limit at the moment. And, but, you know, as Rich Clapton said to me earlier, he was out in the streets on the weekend. He can't believe how many people in Sydney are ignoring the mask situation. Yeah. It's just, you know, so it's tough. It's really, but, yeah, we're hanging in. We're positive and, you know, I've run out of movies and Netflix shit to watch. But And I noticed Apple have put their new movie prices up from about $19.99 to $34 <laughs> in the last six weeks. Well, thanks for joining us, Michael. We'll let you go. Great to talk no to you. Okay, thanks, Michael. All right. See you later. Take care, Bye. guys. Bye. Thanks, Michael. Bye. 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 So, um, why don't we have a a brief uh, chat about a few things, and let's pursue that conversation about um, how do we support local acts now that we've talked about the uh, dire straits of the music industry so far. I was looking at. Uh, I had to do my tax recently, Stuart, which is a frightening thing, but I noticed how much money I had spent on buying music in the last 12 months, which is uh, quite incredible. More, more, I think, than I've ever spent before. Uh, I think that uh, you're not alone there, Brian. I think, it, I think, look, I think it's a combination of, of things. 
we're sitting around with nothing to do and you just go it, it's a click away but certainly um i'm i'm the same i have bought a um a lot of of music over the last 18 months and uh it's been my way of um supporting australian independent artists you know i i've sort of made a policy of you know sometimes going can i afford this can i afford this but i'm going okay you know in my world you know i've continued to be pretty busy and and so i count myself as as very fortunate so you know i've been going on Bandcamp and just picking various australian artists whose music i like and i'm going you know what okay i'll get their album or i'll get their t-shirt and uh, you know that that i guess is continues to be one of the ways that uh, that people who aren't musicians can continue to to support those who are and, and i've been using Bandcamp a lot I, I never wonder whether i often wonder whether Bandcamp, you know is it looks artist friendly and it does a very good job of presenting as artist friendly but it seems to be the place to to support independent artists because there is that at least impression that more money flows to the artists by if you mm. buy you know via, via Bandcamp. Definitely. Yeah, I've been using Bandcamp a lot. In fact, that's one of the things I've kind of discovered over the last 18 months or so, Bandcamp, and the number of artists putting their material on Bandcamp. And they have a sort of, uh, what, every week where or every so often where they waive their fees and so the artist gets all the income from uh, the purchases, which, is, which has been a really good thing. But we mentioned the Yikesville CD, music from Yikesville, which you would would have seen advertised in rhythms and sh I did that with Shane O'Mara we put that out with Shane O'Mara but I said to Shane listen everything because you can't get to shops to distribute it in, in shops what we'll do is when we sell it on rhythms we'll just give you the the revenue so I thought that's that's one way of helping out a musician you know by enabling uh, them to sort of make some money through the rhythms portal which I think has been a, a good thing yeah, and look, you know, for for music fans like us, it's it's been pretty great because a lot of people being very mindful of continuing to get some income for their creativity, you know, via particularly Bandcamp, you know, people have been putting up all these live shows and, you know, extraneous bits and pieces that, you know, they might not have, have um, released otherwise, but we just go, oh, there's that... Richmond Fontaine concert that maybe I wouldn't have had the chance to buy. Oh, there it is, you know, and instead of, um, you know, 635 King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard releases a year, we're now up to 870. Uh, so, you know, but but certainly, yeah, for, for fans, I think it's good. I've noticed, you know, maybe maybe I'm just paying more attention, but, uh, you know, I, I listen to a lot of, of um, 60s and 70s Australian jazz that came out on small independent labels. Yeah. And I've noticed a real upsurge in the amount of that, that that's that been reissued and made available on, on Bandcamp. So as, as, a, as a music fan, I think it's been, a, it's, it's, it's had its upside, that's for sure. Plus there is, um, there is that slight feeling when you get a huge pile of stuff delivered by the postman every day and you look at your credit card statements and you go it's okay it's okay i'm supporting artists it's okay <laughs> so you know the people like you and i uh who i'm sure like uh a lot of people listening to us spend much more money on um on music than uh, possibly we should uh we we have had a rationalization for our um, addiction to, to such ventures hey and one thing i wanted to mention before we go i've just um been uh, enjoying some films from the Irish 
Film Festival. I don't know if you heard about it. It, was, it seemed to have it went under the radar a bit. And uh, there are a couple of fantastic documentaries, which unfortunately you can't see on that film festival anymore. And uh, a great documentary on Phil Linnett from uh, Thin Lizzy. Fantastic documentary. And an amazing documentary, Julian Temple's documentary about Shane McGowan, which you might have seen. I I'm not sure. But, no, uh, I, I, I haven't seen either of those. I, I missed the McGowan. Uh, I think I was actually going to go and see it in a cinema mm. before, and then COVID descended. Um, so I haven't seen that one. And the Phil Linnett did look particularly interesting. And, and the other one that uh, I didn't get to see, but I'm hoping it's still around, uh, was the Karen Doughton one, which came mm. as part of the Melbourne yeah. International Film Festival. So I, uh, I saw that during the film festival. They had that online. And uh, but I can thoroughly recommend those documentaries. The, the Karen Dalton one is kind of sad in a way, as is the Shane McGowan one, as you won't be surprised mm -hmm. to hear. Um, but there's a terrific feature film that I saw as well, uh, starring Gabriel Byrne as an Irish professor of literature in, in Canada called Death of a Ladies Man, inspired by the music of Leonard Cohen. And oh, yeah, <laughs> and uh, I I don't know whether I, this is a spoiler alert, but I read in the blurb. It suggested there was a happy ending. I'm not sure of the Irish definition of a happy ending after I'm watching the after I watch the film. I won't give too much away, but because I mean that that is one of the things about the pandemic. Obviously, it has changed completely the way people have become used to consuming. Yeah, you know, exactly. Culture, yeah. You know, I mean, I would uh, would rarely have watched films and things on on my computer in the past, but now, you know, we can't go to the cinema, we can't do anything like that. So, bang, it's you know, watching on watching on the computer screen. All right, good to talk to you. Good to talk to you too, Brian.